You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Kelly Ryder is Chief Learning and Talent Officer at PTC, a leading digital transformation solutions company. She is responsible for establishing the central learning organization and driving PTC's learning digital transformation. Prior to PTC, Kelly held leadership positions in corporate learning and development at SAP, SuccessFactors, Hewlett-Packard, and ACS IntelliNet. In today's episode, Kelly and Ron discuss how to create a culture of continuous learning and improvement, how to shift from a traditional learning mindset to that of a constant learner, and what is innovation, and what are some ways we can embed creativity and innovation into organizational culture. Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett, and today I am very excited to have with me and with us, Kelly Ryder. Kelly, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah. So, so uh, Kelly, before we start, tell us about PTC. Now, you, you are the Chief Learning and Talent Officer of the company, but tell us, just give us, uh, the listeners, an overview of PTC. Yeah, PTC is really all about next generation technology, um, putting intelligence into products such as augmented reality, IoT, um, CAD solutions. And so what that's what really attracted me to, to come work here is the, the focus on making uh, technology more intelligent. And so it's uh, a leader in, in each of those areas from designing the solution in, in CAD uh, to taking that solution and and helping companies build them out and, and putting the intelligence into it, such as augmented reality and Internet of Things. So it's it's a very high end uh, tech company, and um, mm. I've been here since June of last year. Well, that's excellent. But you you've been in this people culture space for a while. You you transitioned. I was looking at your career. You've kind of transitioned, but you've been doing this for been in people and culture with your last role as well, correct? That was- uh, I have, I have. Yeah, I started off um, as an instructional designer, kind of looking at how do you help employees get better at their job and the, and the work that they do and, and moved into the HR space back in 2014 and, and where it really became clear to me how important it is to focus on the biggest investment that a company can make, which is their people. So tell me about that, because I, I love to ask, you know, what was your aha moment, you know, that the- this like, wow, we really need to double down on culture and people. What was, it sounds like this happened to you in 2014. What happened? What, what, what was the event? Well, <clears throat> I had been brought up into, uh, acquired actually. Um, and so I had worked in the business forever <clears throat> for training and then came up into HR. And that's really what was the aha moment was that there was a lot of people behind the scenes that were really focused on their people strategy and and how are they what were they were thinking about for their workforce what what do they need their workforce to do to help the company get to where it needs to be so that was for me that was a real aha moment I really um, you know it was kind of a behind the scenes HR is usually more behind the scenes and it, being down in the business I never really thought about that before yeah interesting and so was it the environment you know environments before were very different and and you know, and, and it was time to like, okay, I want to really move this further now, or I need to make a big shift. And we're not doing that today. What what did it look like? Yeah, I think it was really, you know, getting into HR and, and recognizing that there are so many different pillars that really affect the employee experience from that moment of being recruited to once you get in the door, 
What does that experience look like? There's people who are thinking about their learning and development. What do they need these people to do? How do you get, how do you compensate them? How do you manage their performance? So that, that whole employee life cycle for me, really, I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about in, in the full spectrum from the moment that they get recruited to the moment that they, that they leave. I had always just focused on the one pillar that I had been responsible for, which was learning and development. So kind of coming up into the HR space, seeing that full spectrum was what for me was really eye-opening, to be honest. <clears throat> it's interesting because it seems like that that a lot of companies were focused on customer experience, right? Yeah. Yeah. So now now like I feel like UX as a like user experience is really going mm-hmm. to like employee journey, employee experience. Companies didn't really I don't think they really thought about that before. And now people are really starting to lean into that and say, what is the experience from the application to the onboarding to, you know, meeting the team? I mean, this is a, this is, you, you know, a, a companies are trying to get pretty creative about that experience. Yeah, I totally agree. I think a lot of, uh, a lot of focus has been on the product and the customer and not as much on the people. And, you know, we've been talking in the industry, they've been talking a lot about this war for talent. That it's coming, that it's coming. It's it's already here. I mean, you, you see it now. People, companies are really struggling to find top talent. So a lot of them are really thinking about what do we do with the talent that we have? How can we reskill them? How can we, you know, help them kind of be where they need to be? Because you know, bringing people in, it's it's pretty scarce. Uh, to be honest, it's it's there definitely is a war for talent. Um, so I think the focus really does need to be more on the people strategy. How do you help the people that you have already here and, you know, make, make sure that they're engaged, that they're productive, that they're, you know, having their best career. And, and I know, you know, your zone is learning and innovation, but, but I just want to stay on this UX user experience, employee experience mm-hmm. for a second. And what have you seen? What are you guys doing that, that you find is, wow, this is very unique. This is adding to the employee experience. What are some stuff that uh, you've either seen or, or, or you guys are doing? So we're actually bringing in a lot of technology. So when I when I entered PTC, um, you know what I noticed, and this is I think pretty common <clears throat> with lots of different companies, is that they run their people strategy on Excel and you know kind of that back office administration type um, you know work. So we're bringing in a lot of new technology, a new HRIS system, which really connects all of the people data from that moment of onboarding all the way through. So their, their um, performance, their compensation, um, all that's all connected through. So a lot, a lot is being done to simplify and move away from that administrative work that people are doing behind the scenes, um, which makes it a lot easier, not only for the, the people behind the scenes doing the work, but also for the employees to have access immediately to the information about themselves, about where they want to go with their performance. It's all kind of at their fingertips. So a lot, a lot of investment on uh, technology is, is really where we're focused. So. Yeah. Interesting. And so, you know, everyone, you know, learning and innovation is a hot topic and, and I'm curious how uh, your take on learning and innovation, and maybe we should kind of break those up because I feel like they may be attached sometimes, but learning and innovation, like being innovative and learning, even though attached are different things. And I was having a discussion with um, someone at IBM the other day, and we were having uh, this discussion about learning. And it, it feels like there's two types. Let's talk about learning first. 
There is the progression learning. So i.e., hey, Kelly, you're a manager of this office and 10 individuals, but we want you to be a regional leader. And so, so that, that's some pretty deep you know, content. You're going to be in a course, a leadership course in development, and I'll call that deep learning. But the other side we talked about was in the moment learning, right? Like we need to solve this problem. Those are two things and, and should be treated a little differently, do you think? Or, or what are your thoughts as I'm saying that? Yeah. So I think there's always going to be that foundational learning that people need to have, uh, that deep expertise, which, which may require, you know, more formal type learning, whether it's an instructor-led program or it's um, education that they, that they need to get. But then there's always those moments on the job where people need access to information in, the, in that moment of need. And so I think, you know, as instructional designers, as learning people, you need to constantly think about what are, what are those foundational components that people need to have and the capabilities and the, and the education, but what also can you do to help them in that moment of need and, and serve up that content? It's, it's the holy grail really is the right content to the right, the right person time. at the right time for the mm. right reasons. Um, and, and being able to serve it up quickly within context. So how do, you, how, how do companies get there? Because that sounds like a big beast, you know, the yeah. right content, right time, right, you know. All, tell me more about that. How, yeah. how do you deliver that and create a culture where that, that works and, and, and companies can deliver that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. <laughs> big beast. Um, it is a big beast. Uh, you know, I think it's really focusing on the skills that people need to have, um, being really intentional about what people need at a specific time. And so it does take a lot of discipline in terms of how you organize content, how you tag that content so that it can be served up, that systems can find it and, and bring it to people. Um, so it's, it's being very, I think, intentional about the individual, uh, thinking about the skills that they need at a specific point in time and, and then just being really thoughtful about how you break up content and, and then also how you organize that content so that, it's, that it can be delivered in, a, in an easy way. And that's with so many systems in the environment uh, that it, it is difficult to do, but it, it's, that, it's that work behind the scenes that, that kind of makes that magic happen. But do you think, you think companies are overthinking that? And what I mean, Kelly, is, you know, because let's, put deep learning aside, you know, like really developing skills for the next level or next position. And, and let's talk about, you know, learning in the moment, I need to solve this problem. Because then there's training, we need to train you on this system, yep. you need to create content for that. But solve problems. I, I almost believe that companies are overthinking it, potentially, they're creating content that's already out there. So instead of allowing someone to, you know, I always use this example, you know, I, uh, at home, we, we learn very differently than we do at work. And so if I had to, you know, uh, make chicken parmesan tomorrow night and, and I'm craving it, I know that I know the basic ingredients. I know there's chicken and, and, um, and, and cheese and sauce, but I might not know what goes on top of what. And so I stop, I get my ingredients out and I go on YouTube and I find the answer. I feel like there's a lot of answers to a lot of problems out there, whether I posted something on Facebook and say, or LinkedIn, I don't know if, if we're doing that in business. I feel like sometimes we, we think that we have to own all this content, like how to put chicken on cheese is this foolish, you know, are we overthinking it as businesses and trying to put everything and dump it into an LMS and we, you know, and, and build it and tag it. It just sounds like a big beast. And I'm going through this with my, my real estate company right now. And I think we're, 
I, I want to be careful that we don't overthink and, and that to how to solve the problem of flushing, a, uh, fixing the back of a toilet, it's online. There's a thousand videos. Why are we creating our own content? What do you think? Yeah, agreed. I agree. I absolutely agree. I think um, there, there really is a discipline around curation and how you think about the content that you need to build and the content that you can just pull in. And so, you know, kind of in a previous role, we were really, we really had a curation strategy, you know, where if it wasn't, you know, custom to your company and it could only be found in your company, then you can source it. You can mm -hmm. curate it. Why, why recreate the wheel, right? And that's why there's so many great companies out there, third-party, you know, content companies that people are using and bringing in so that they don't have to build that content. And so I think, you know, really it's, it's about thinking of the content that you need to, to create that's, that is totally unique to your company and focusing on those pieces. The rest you can source, the rest you can bring in. And it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, in my last role, I was really surprised at how emotional content can be. People think that their content is the most important. It's the most unique. It's the most exciting. It's the highest priority. And really, when you look at it, it's, it's, it's a lot of times it's not right. It's, it's content that you can bring in. Um, so you have to be, I think, uh, very intentional about which content that you that you are going to focus on and prioritize and build because content, it's an investment, right? It, it costs money, people are creating it, you have to manage it. Um, and if it's not being used, you know, there's no real return on that investment mm -hmm. that you make. So you have to be very, um, you know, disciplined in terms of what your focus is going to be. And there's, there's different ways to learn, right? I mean, I also think that sometimes because there's so much content that we are going back to just curating or finding content versus, you know, and we had this conversation with, um, with our team last week, you know, I, I said, look, as an entrepreneur, one of the things that I think I do well versus other entrepreneurs or, or other leaders in some cases, if I need to solve a problem, I actually don't go to Google. I write down a list of how many people I know that can solve that problem. Absolutely. And they, they may be internal or external. And I am just relentless about going down that list and calling everybody. And, and then it's drinking from a fire hose. I'm learning so much from people who are experts at this, who I have relationships. It's building that relationship. People love when you call and say, I need help with something. And I, I feel like I'm getting, I learn 10x faster than, than if I was just to search in Google and, and read a few articles or watch some videos. Yeah. And, and I feel like that maybe through all this online content, we've also lost this human connectivity of just picking up the phone and calling or what do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, I commend you on, on recognizing that that is learning. Um, that social learning component is, is really important. And if people you know, the mindset that I, that I find, uh, and, you know, I look at the data um, from a, a recent survey that we did where people said, you know, I don't have the training and development, I need to be successful. And it's like, well, where are you looking? Are you just looking for it to be in a classroom? And that's so limiting. And so, you know, mindset change, you know, that I'm really trying to drive where I'm at is, you know, learning doesn't have to happen in a classroom. You know, you're learning continuously, whether it's like you said, through other people, it's that quick hit on YouTube. It, it is that formal course that you may have. It may be a mentor. It may be a coach that you're using. These are all learning experiences and, and people need to recognize that it's available every day and you're learning continuously. It's not just limited to a classroom setting. 
Absolutely. You know, so funny. I was talking to a, a friend of mine uh, who's in the finance business. His name's Scott Coates. And I was having him kind of school me on, you know, just, just some different aspects of real estate. And he's going through and God love him. You know, he's giving me his time and he, his counsel and, and incredibly like I'm learning so much. And eventually I said, okay, we need to stop. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I, I, I'm, I, I have too much information. I need to let it absorb now. Like there's this process. And he said, I have one more thing. I said, I can't take it. Not right now. And, and if we could do another call, great. I can't take anything more right now. I, yeah. I almost feel like if you get, if the learning's that good and you're absorbing it like that, and I was an awful learner in school because I was very selfish about, you know, what, where the value was coming from. And I wasn't in the flow. It was, had nothing to do with the problem I had to solve. Uh, you know, and so does that make sense? And, and it sounds like we need to, you know, define what learning is because I heard you say that you said, you know, it's good that, you know, you're saying learning is outside of research and, and should, is that the base camp is, Hey, let's define what learning is. Learning is calling someone learning is talking to a peer Googling because, because maybe people are confused with what is learning when I'm here at this organization, I'm on the clock. Yeah, I agree. It's cognitive overload is what you just described, right? So you simply, you can't fill people's heads, you know, which is, which is typically what happens, you know, you imagine you walk into a new company and it's like learning from a fire hose, right? It's like everybody needs to have all this information on day one. That's not true, right? I mean, you can space a lot of that out and give people content that they need in the moment of need, you know, right? They don't need to know on day one, you know, how to fill out an expense report. It's like, Let's give them that information when they actually do and that. They need type it when, of thing. In the flow of solving that problem, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. And, and 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 again, being able to serve it up. So someone goes in, how do I fill out an expense report? That content should be connected to them in that moment of need. But I do agree. I think you know the definition of learning. Um, you know, a lot of what I see is this you know kind of traditional mindset of I'm not learning unless I'm in a classroom. And I think about you know a lot of companies didn't think that they could work outside of an office, right? We all learned very quickly with COVID that that is possible. People can be productive and they can work outside of an office environment. So for me, it's learning doesn't have to happen in a classroom. You don't have to wait for that opportunity to come to you. You could be seeking it out. You could, you could have an on-the-job experience. You could have a stretch assignment. You could have recently, I just inherited a new part of my role. I am not going to go to a class for that. Right? I am going to be learning on the job and reaching out to my network who do this type of, of work to give me insights and to help me kind of build up my strategy and, and quickly learn as fast as I can. So, yeah. Well, it's funny because, you know, a few things come to mind as you're saying that, you know, um, back to the learning process. And it's either, you know, you're either absorbing content that's coming at you or, and I hope I'm saying this right, or I'm asking specific questions and then, then absorbing that content. There's a higher likelihood of me absorbing based on a question. That's why, you know, I know uh, some speakers, for instance, um, people say, look, the speaker was good, but the Q&A was unbelievable because the speaker answered a question, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I wonder if, if, if we're still talk at you content versus why don't we create formats? And I'll go back to me calling 15 of the smartest people I know to solve a problem. That is, I am learning exactly. I can interrupt them. I can say, whoa, tell me more. Whoa, wait a second. Can you explain that again? Mm -hmm. I didn't quite understand. I can't do that if my, you know, my 
whoever I report to says, hey, here's this uh, video, you should just watch it, you know, or we've created this content or LMS, that, that should be all you need, sir, you know. Yep. Feels like th that we need to have this open dialogue and, and open up human connectivity for the learning process. Yeah, agreed. I mean, you, you can't replace the human element of this at all, but with a lot of technologies that I see coming on the market specifically for human resources, people management, um, artificial intelligence is really coming up fast. And, you know, you have coaches, you know, you have these assistants, these coaches, you know, that we're so used to in our consumer world, like Siri, help me answer this question. And you get that feedback. Um, so I think those, those will start to emerge and become more common in our professional world because we're so used to it in our, you know, consumer world. And, and quite honestly, the, the next generation's coming up. That's what they've always experienced. Um, that's one of my employees yesterday. She said she was walking through the grocery store with her daughter and her daughter just looked in the air and said, Siri, where's the orange juice, <laughs> right? Like people are so used to that in their, in their consumer world, we're gonna see, see a lot more of that where we are able to use these assistants and, and they're smart, right? They can nudge you, they can tell you, hey, Kelly, you need to have a conversation with this employee that you haven't met with. Or, hey, did you know that, you know, your, uh, you know, your last intervention with people was was a little bit negative. Maybe you should focus on more positive language. So there's going to be these types of systems that are kind of monitor monitoring, which sounds kind of scary, but looking at your behavior and giving you those nudges, giving you those insights about what you're doing, that can help you along the way. But there's always, but there's always going to be that human component. There's always, mm -hmm. I'm always going to pick up the phone, ask some people, Hey, have you ever done this before? Can you talk me through what you did? That, that piece will never, never be fully removed, even with technology. So, so let's go to innovation quickly. Uh, we've kind of discussed learning. Sure. We had Josh linked I don't know if you know him. He's out of Detroit. He's just wrote a, a, a new book um, mm. that just come out and, he started the conversation by saying that learning, especially to build a culture of learning, started with um, changing people's beliefs about, or sorry, not learning, innovation, I should say, mm -hmm. that, that building culture and innovation, it starts with the belief um, that our belief in some cases is that we aren't innovative. And so people in some cases, their definition is innovative is they have to come up with the, the, um, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the cure for cancer to be innovative or uh, build a flying vehicle, that, but innovative. And he, he looked at it as like just an upgrade to take any system process, whatever it is, and upgrade it by 5%. What are your thoughts? Is, does that where it starts or, or, or does it start somewhere else? Oh, I like that. Um, you know, for me, innovation, it, it, it does require people to feel safe and to take risks and be able to kind of make mistakes and, and learn from them, right? So it's all about, you know, that we're, we're doing a lot of work right now on psychological safety. And I think that's important for people to feel, especially as quickly as things are moving right now, if you don't feel that you can take risks and, you know, even fail, you know, fail epically, but learn from it, right? be able to draw out that learning experience and, and say this, you know, we tried this, it didn't work. We're going to go to the next thing and we're going to iterate and we're going to iterate and we're going to make it better. And I, I, I like that idea of just, just tweaking it a little bit because I think, you know, previously, and, and I came from a background where, you know, we had big monolithic systems that sat in people's environments. Now everything is moving 
to SaaS and, and the cloud, right? And to get from that monolithic kind of thinking to SaaS environment, it really does require a different mindset. It requires constant movement and constant upgrades, constant thinking about you know what the system is going to be next and, and continuing to learn. So I agree. I mean, I think it's it is a mindset change. Um, I think people need to feel safe to be able to make make those calculated risks um, and then and learn from them when they when they do fail. And failure shouldn't be seen as you know a horrible thing. I think it's calculated risks um, get you to a better place. And you talked about safety because obviously that's important. I don't I I don't. I don't want to be on eggshells and know that if I try something and fail, I'm going to, you know, be reported on or whatever it's going to be or discipline. What are you guys doing? What are you seeing as, as a great way to create that safe environment where, where the individuals employees feel collectively, because that's how we're going to scale that we all feel like, Hey, we can throw something at the wall. We can try something out and it's, it's safe to do that. Yeah. So um, in my, my previous role, I, I met a manager who actually set a goal for how many, failures and risks you've taken, which I thought was really cool um, because it, it encouraged his team to have a space for them to try new things and to innovate. Um, so, you know, where I am today is, is we are focused on psychological safety and, and bringing that as an educational experience so that managers, leaders see um, the, the type of culture that they need, that they need to create. Um, within my space specifically, I, I have an innovation goal for our team and we're going to pilot. We're going to try new things. Um, we're going to probably fail, but we're going to at least test them out and see if they fit uh, in this culture, which, you know, you really don't know unless you unless you try it. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's about committing to that goal of innovation and, and giving the space and safety for people to do that. And another thing Josh said, which I thought was very interesting, um, back to belief, um, was that we need to change our belief so that everybody understands that everything, every system, process, product has an expiry date. And if we don't take that perspective, then we become blockbuster. If we just think, no, it is what it is, we've always done this. And that those who don't put expiry dates on things are going to lose. What do you think about that? (laughs) No, I think it's, you, we, we can't afford to have that mindset anymore. Right. So we've, we've had so many examples like blockbuster, like you said, and I think that what you'll find is, you know, people who are kind of in that on-premise has to be, you know, a physical brick and mortar thing. They, they're they the ones that you can't take along on the journey with you, right? So it's kind of going back to that idea of where so many businesses thought that they couldn't ever have a remote workforce, that they couldn't be productive, that they couldn't meet their goals. They had to have a physical brick and mortar location for people to come to work. We saw that, that that wasn't absolutely necessary. And so every company right now in the world is rethinking their physical location strategy. You know, how many people do we actually need to have come into the work? Do we really need to have you know, these types of um, systems that require people to be in person? It, that mindset you know, was shattered as soon as COVID happened. And, it, and unfortunately it took that kind of cataclysmic event for people to get out of that mindset so I think, you know, in terms of the things that you're talking about with learning, with, you know, innovation and, and my, the mindset to really continuously grow, you know, we have, we have a, a, a ways to go in terms of bringing people along that journey with us. But we have this unfortunate example that we can use to show people, you know, we don't have to do things the way they always were before. We have, 
lots of opportunities to do to try new things. So. And I'm curious what you've seen or what you guys are doing um, to process innovation. And uh, in our organization, one of the things we do is on our quarterly planning sessions, we'll kind of plan do have an exercise called mm -hmm. what if, and it's a blue sky mm -hmm. exercise that you could say, well, what if we did this or what if we did that and, and nothing's off the wall. Uh, you can't, you can't challenge anybody's idea. And we, we will take 20, 30 minutes and, and it will just have some incredibly wild, crazy ideas. And then we'll look at that and say, well, look, let, let's go back. And what if we had to vote on one of these things that we could actually bite off for the quarter? Um, because it feels like a lot of people aren't using that, that innovation isn't being processed, but it can be. What have you seen? What are you guys doing to, to, be, to, to, to scale innovation and build it into some type of process? Yeah, I, I like that. What if I'm going to use that? Um, so within PTC, there's actually a, a community. Uh, uh, it's called Innovate at PTC. And what they do is they kind of take those what if statements, if you will, and they create projects out of them. And so it's an agile you know, kind of sprint to see, let's, let's try it out. Let's, let's see if this works. Let's see if we can make this happen. So I think there's a there's a really concentrated effort to to drive innovation internally, but it's based on a business need or a product need or some type of of need, right? So it's not it's it's focused on really advancing um, something that 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 exists as a as a gap, mm -hmm. um, but it's it's a full community. They, there's lots of people who participate and get that hands-on experience. And so, so does that process, does it go through, does that process go through a process like, okay, you know, <laughs> I'm Ron, I found a, we've got this challenge from a customer experience standpoint or customer onboarding. So I want to go and innovate. Do I have to write a, a case study that goes to my senior director who approves it or what does it look like? Can I move? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, it, because you're asking for resources to step away from their day job and participate in, you know, this kind of um, sprint experience that, um, you know, they do go through a, a bit of a process, right? So they, they identify what the need is, they um, kind of come up with the, the scope of the project. Um, so it does, it does have a little bit of um, some guardrails around it, but you know, it, I think be, it's <laughs> yeah. gotta be balanced, right? Because if there's too many guardrails, then it kind of takes the, you know, Michelangelo or, you know, didn't have guardrails around when he tried to innovate or Picasso or any of these folks, you know, what's the balance? Because if there's too many guardrails, I'm like, it's not even worth it. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not, I agree. Know. Yeah, having having process for process sakes really kind of uh, diminishes, you know, the spirit of innovation. Uh, so I think, you know, I think they do give people some some good um, uh, open openness to what they what they can do, um, but they do kind of box it, right? It's like, okay, you have this long to do this thing. Um, so, you know, an example of just taking it to, to, to kind of a learning example, we have an executive leadership program that um, it's a CEO project, and basically the CEO comes in says, "I want you to solve this problem. See you in you know four months." And there's absolutely no additional <laughs> information given, right? So it's like these people, you know, 15 of them have to figure out and work together and innovate on, you know, how they're going to solve this problem. And there is absolutely no guardrails on that one. Um, but so I think, so it is a balance. I mean, I think you, you have to time box it, right? And say you have this long to kind of come up and solve this problem. And then, and then you move on. Yeah. 
Interesting. Um, and you, you, I, I think you had alluded to using case studies to drive learning and innovation. Tell me more about that. Yeah, I think with with case studies, um, you know, really what you're looking at is, you know, how can you, I mean, the case study is the result of the of the work that you've done, right? So, um, you know, I really try and encourage my team to to come up with, okay, here's here's a program, here's a um, new way of doing things, and and we try we roll them out, and then we be, we become that case study. So, um, it's it's. Um, well, it sounds, Sorry, it sounds like you, you, what you're talking about is, look, of course, we're trying new things, but let's document that to showcase the process. And you mentioned earlier the outcome. And so it sounds like, look, we've tried to solve this problem. We solved it. Here's the case study around it. Here was the outcome to encourage. It sounds like it's used to encourage other folks to say, wow, okay, we're great. A team did that. It worked. Here, This was the outcome. So, so I'm Am I in, maybe so this is a work, you know, a piece of inspiration tells me that it's okay. It could also drive safety, get me excited about the process. Is that where you're using it? Well, I think, you know, when you become a case study and you share it uh, externally, that's where I think, uh, like you were saying, that's where your experts come in, right? So if I'm looking to see what, what have other people done, you know, case studies really can be used to help me rethink, you know, my strategy, right? So once you get through and you've done something and you've proven it and you share that out, it becomes part of that kind of ecosystem of knowledge that um, is used for others, you know, to say, oh, I need to develop my continuous mm -hmm. performance strategy. What, what did this company do? What did this company do? So, I see. So you're two sides. You're saying, fine, it can motivate those to learn, but it, it also teaches other people on things that have worked in the past in case studies, just like you would, uh, you know, I guess, uh, Judges are using other case studies before they make decisions and uh, et cetera. They're, they're, you're basically using that to, to help you form a decision or, or ideate around something. Yeah, it's an easier way to scale that knowledge. And so instead of you calling and asking, you know, your 15 people what they've done, if it's documented and it's, and it's again, it's easy to find as a resource, then that's something, you know, I can take and I can get that information very quickly and, and kind of synthesize it and understand uh, a lot faster. You're not trying to convince me to stop calling people, are you, Kelly? <laughs> hey, you know, Ron. I love bugging people. <laughs> uh, well, look, this has been great, Kelly. Anything else we didn't talk about that you think would be relevant for the listeners today on the topic of innovation and, and learning? Yeah, I think uh, you really can't um, have innovation without a really strong learning culture, right? And so um, one of the things that I'm really inspired and passionate about doing here is, is getting that mindset change and, and getting people to understand why it's important. So yesterday, actually, I had a, I had a call with our uh, VP audience talking about this very subject. And it's like, if you don't invest in your learning culture, people don't, where people don't feel like, if people don't feel like they can continuously learn, if they're not seeing those opportunities, if we don't have leaders who are role modeling the behavior to recognize and reward learning, what you're going to find is that we're not going to be competitive um, mm. because companies that have a strong learning culture outperform their competition in every single metric from profitability to time to market, to attracting new talent, to making sure that the workforce they have can reskill and get to the next you know, place where the company needs them. You can't do that without a strong learning culture. But, and it sounds like at, at 10,000 feet, there, there's, there's two phases of this, the safety to be able to do it 
And then the accountability to get it done, you know, like that's a whole other level is, you know, your previous um, colleague that said, hey, this is part of your KPIs. And I don't know if you want to call it how many times you fail or how many times you try to innovate or ideate, but is your suggestion that we should be building that into performance, into the ask and accountability of of folks to really hold them to account once, because then you move past safety. Of course, I'm safe. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm being held to the fire here. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it does need to be embedded into probably the processes that you use behind the scenes, which I know can sound a little um, archaic, but I think if you if you don't build that in, you don't really have that um, behavior change. So if managers are being seen, so one of our values is like is um, excellence and innovation, for example, that is a core value that our company has put a stake in the ground and said, this is a core value for us. Our job, you know, within the people team is to weave that in and embed that and try and get that behavior, right? So it, it does have to be a little um, built in to the system in order for people to feel like, ooh, I should be doing this. So it's like a, it's a little reminder. Yeah, you know, when I'm hearing you talk, I, I think of, you know, um, you know, our company. So though that 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 weaved in would be, we, we know that one of the drivers for innovation is curiosity. So if we do an interview, if you're not curious, you're out. When we, if you're curious, fine. And, and we certainly have a, a methodology to screen around that and questions yeah. and behaviors that, and things that you've done in the past, which would show whether you're a curious person or not. Then we onboard showing you safe, uh, you know, really trying to get you inspired to do this and then weaving it uh, within your journey in the company. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you do have to find the right culture fit with people coming in. But what do you do about all the people who have been here already? Right. So that that to me for a lot of companies is how do you get that culture, which may not have existed before? How do you rise them up to be curious, to think differently, to challenge? That's what I think a lot of companies, including the one that I'm in, I've had there's people that have been here for over 20 plus years. Right. They they don't know um, what what different looks like because they've always been at the same company. So what do you do for those people? How do you activate that curiosity? How do you get them kind of on that train, if you will, to, to think differently, to challenge. And it really, to me, it really comes with infusing new talent that comes in and and can challenge it. Yeah, it's probably that. And it's probably a combination of belief. My belief is that I'm not innovative. I just, I'm not an artist. I'm not creative, but I like, kind of what Josh said is this 5% upgrade. Okay, fine, Ron, you're an accountant who sits behind a desk and reconciles the books all day, but how do you upgrade that by 5%? That's innovative. And so if you get someone to start to believe that, that, oh yeah, I guess I I am a problem solver. I I guess that is innovative, you know? And Mm -hmm. I I think as companies, even starting there is a good place. And that may be helpful for the the, the tenured employee that uh, has been around for a long time, that really their belief is that they're not innovative and this isn't an innovative company or, or wasn't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah. you know, you really have to drive that through the managers, right? So managers mm-hmm. need to be kind of trained to identify those opportunities and, and that kind of native genius, I guess, if you will, somebody who is, you know, thinking differently, you know, encouraging them. Thing, you know, let, let's try something new. Let's try something different, right? So it's, it's you know, you may have people within the ecosystem who are like, I'm going to do this the same way that I've always done it. But if you can get the managers to work with those people and say like, hey, let's think of this differently. Let's get outside the box. That's where I think you'll, you'll see change really starting to happen. 
And I, and I think that we, we sometimes forget that, you know, you said, you know, the way we've always done it, but if you go beyond there, go a level deeper, everyone was a curious child at some point that was super creative and asked, drove their yeah. parents crazy. Uh, why is this? Why is this like that? What about this? Why can't we do this? I mean, we were all creative. And I think that it's a natural attribute that we all have that we may have lost or left behind, but it's still there. And it's how do you tap yeah. back into it? Yeah, agreed. I, I think you'll see a lot of focus, uh, at least I'm seeing a lot of focus in the industry about getting people back to what makes them human. And it is that creativity. It's that ability to be empathetic. It's that, you know, kind of um, it, it, what, uh, um, technology isn't going to come in and totally replace humans. You, you have to have humans who can process that information and be creative. And so I, I've seen a pretty significant focus lately on human skills and what makes us human and what, you know, really developing those things, which, which seem very basics. simple. Yeah, it, it is back to basics and it's, it does seem very simple, but it's like, you know, the, these are the things that separate us from, you know, being replaced by an AI system. Right? Yeah, that's right. So, yep. Well, Kelly, look, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's a hot topic. Uh, so I appreciate your time today and I hope you're doing well in Denver and I'm going to get the name of the restaurant and send that to you too. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm on the hunt. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you. Thanks, Ron, for the opportunity. Appreciate it. For more information about Kelly or anything else related to Scaling Culture, please visit the show description. And if you're enjoying the Scaling Culture podcast, please subscribe. We'll be back next week with another incredible guest.